So it's been about a half an hour. Do you remember the sermon title? (laughs) On a clear day. On a clear day, you can what? See forever. And who can forget Robert Goulet? Perhaps you've heard the story of the, uh, the man who was meditating, and he finally got up the courage to ask God a question. He said, God, what's a million years like to you? And God answered and said, it's like a second. So the man asked a second question. He said, God, what, what's a million dollars like to you? And God said, It's like a penny. So after a pause, the man asked a third question. He said, well, God, how about giving me one of those pennies? And God said, in a second. (laughs) And isn't that sort of like us? We want it all now at our fingertips. And haven't you known people for whom, if it's not right now, it's nothing And when thinking about the future, some people, as the old adage goes, won't even buy green bananas. And at the other extreme are those who put off the meaning of their existence into the far future. These are the folks who do not take the present moment seriously, but stake the core of their religious life and meaning on some future reward in the next life. In essence, they would only be interested in very green bananas, those too green to even eat. It is precisely these two perspectives that we will look at today on this clear day. Let's jump into our gospel lesson, which Kent read for us, for it is here that we encounter the startling realization. Jesus was casting out a demon, and the people were amazed. And some of them perceived he was doing so because he was in league with Beelzebul, while others wanted to test him to get a sign from him. Now, it was not hard for Jesus to know what they were thinking, and so he said, Any kingdom divided against itself is doomed, and a disunited household will completely collapse. And if Satan disagrees with Satan, how does his kingdom continue? For I know you are saying that I expel evil spirits because I'm in league with Beelzebul. But if I do expel devils because I am an ally of Beelzebul, who is your own son's ally that they exercise doing the same thing? They can settle that question for you. But if it is by the finger of God that I am expelling evil spirits, then as J.B. Phillips says in his translation, the kingdom of God has swept over you 
unawares. You see, this is one of the kickers this morning. For even the new Revised Standard Version that Kent was reading from says, the kingdom of God has come to you. It has come to you. And that's pretty heavy stuff. And it raises the question, has the kingdom of God already come? Or is it something yet to come in the far distant future? For some people, the kingdom has primarily already come. It has already overtaken us in the coming of God in Jesus Christ. C.H. Dodd, who was a marvelous New Testament scholar at the University of Cambridge, spent much of his scholarly pursuit looking for this kind of evidence in Scripture. And he points out in our text how the Greek word, the original language, the Greek word, ephthesan, in the aorist tense, which means an action completed in the past, means that the kingdom has already arrived. Something has happened which has never happened before, and the sovereign power of God has come into effective operation. And so Dodd would translate verse 20 simply, the kingdom of God has come. An old African proverb puts it this way, I pointed you to the skies, but you could only see my finger. Perhaps for many, the finger, the close at hand, is the only thing that matters. Jesus uses the rich Old Testament image in the critical verse 20 when he says, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, the answer to that rhetorical question is, certainly, it is by the finger of God. It points to God's direct and concrete intervention. But here we must stop and ask, into what reality has such intervention already come? Our text provides the clue, for the touch came to a man made dumb by a demon. What was the reality? It was an evil and broken world, and Jesus was thought to be part of that by being one of Beelzebul's. Now, Beelzebul, you may know, was the prince of demons, Satan. But did you know that in Aramaic, Beelzebul literally means Lord of Dung? Think about it. Lord of Dung. What a striking contrast to the living Lord of all creation. And in the remainder of our Lucan text, Jesus says, When a strong man, armed to the teeth, guards his own house, his property is in peace. But when a stronger one comes and conquers him, he removes all the arms on which he pinned his faith and divides the spoils among his friends. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and the one who does not gather with me is really scattering. It would appear the point of this allegory is that the power of Satan has been broken by Jesus, who is the stronger. But whether or not we believe in devils in our world today, I doubt there's anyone who does not believe in evil, which brings equally bad, if not worse, things today than it did in Jesus' day. And this brings us to the flip side of our consideration this morning, which is, how can it be claimed that the kingdom of God has already come when things appear to be just as bad as they have always been? Or as a writer, Paul Valery, put it, The trouble with our times is that the future 
isn't what it used to be. As if we weren't confused enough, Scripture also points to the future as holding the kingdom of God in eschatological passages. Eschatological is a fancy theological word that has to do with end times. Our passage from Revolution, from Revolution, from Revelation, has to do with a hoped-for vision of God's coming kingdom. You get the feeling that the writer is describing a new Garden of Eden with a magnificent river and trees of life, the throne of God and of the Lamb, Christ, and nothing will be accursed in this vision. God will be seen face to face, and there will be no other light than God's, and it shall be sufficient unto all eternity. For many people, the future is all that matters. My interest is in the future, said Charles Kettering, because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. So too, it seems, with many of these people who write about eschatology, there is one more big word I'm going to throw at you. You've probably heard it. These eschatological writers are called apocalypticists. Okay? In Greek, in the original language, the book of Revelation is called the Apocalypse of John. John was an apocalyptic writer. And there are many of them still today, and there have been over the centuries. The people who are so concerned about the future, you've probably read some of these books, whether it was the Left Behind series or um, other things, but you know they come out, they periodically, somebody gets a hold of it, and they really want to just put the whole thing about the future. They write about the future as if that's all that matters, the second coming. And when there are such hopeful future-gazing and predictions about when the second coming is coming, there's not much need for responsible living now because things will all be taken care of in one fell swoop. I remember the bumper sticker that said, when the second coming happens, somebody grab my steering wheel. Putting one's glance off into the future with that kind of hope, talking about the kingdom as always yet to come, minimizes, minimizes the incarnation. Because the only real meaningful time in history, according to them, is in the future, at the second coming. And if, as they would make it appear, the real meaning of religion is yet to come, then Jesus was just a nice idea and a ticket to the next world, and it really doesn't matter how you live your life now. History and our responsibility in it don't have to be taken seriously. Well, in response to that kind of hope dispersed by many of the apocalyptics of our day, come this word of the 17th century mystic, Angelus Silesius, when he wrote, You are just dreaming if you see the kingdom delivered without obligation, absolutely free. One of the, on the, on the one hand, is the reality of the present. The kingdom of God has come upon you, and on the other is the hope of the kingdom to come in the future. I am coming to you. It's there in Revelation 22.7. Reality and hope. And it is faith that enables us to live the tension. The dynamic tension 
between reality and hope. The kingdom is both here, but not yet here. If something has really taken hold of you in the life of faith and makes a real difference, has not the kingdom, at least in part, already come? But to say that it's completely come does not fit with our experience of reality, for we know it to be a dark and broken world, as well as one filled with light and love. Perhaps we have known inner and outer healing in our lives, but eventually these bodies of ours wear out, and our ultimate healing comes. As symbolically represented in the leaves of the trees for healing in the nations in the Revelation text. The healing and wholeness which God intends for us can begin now and continue for all life and all time. There may be tension, but not discontinuity. The phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, as found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are replaced in John's Gospel by the phrase eternal life. They refer to the same thing. As we have said, some people seem to think that the kingdom of God starts only when we die. But here's what the great preacher Leslie Weatherhead said. The teaching of the Gospels is that eternal life is to be thought of as quality and not quantity. Not in endless years, but in a life of communion with God which clearly begins now. You know, people talk about the afterlife and they say, she's gone to be with God. But she has always been with God. And the highest heaven doesn't mean that God exists in any fuller measure. It can only mean that our power of communion deepens. I like that. That the power of our communion deepens. But it's not like it all of a sudden starts magically when we die. You see, life is the correspondence with the, revel- with the relevant environment. The life of my eye is the ability to correspond with its relevant environment, which, of course, is light. The life of my ear ceases if its correspondence with sound ceases. Similarly, the life of the soul is its correspondence with its relevant environment, its relevant realm, which is God. You see, the beauty of John's revelation is that it is a transforming vision wherein we will have the stamp of his name on our foreheads precisely because we have to bear the impress of his nature in our lives. It began in Jesus when God touched down in history and is fulfilled in the eternal purposes of God. And in the words of the late great statesman Dag Hammarskjöld in his book Markings, offspring of the past, Pregnant with the future, the present moment, nevertheless, always exists in eternity. Always in eternity as the point of intersection between time and the timelessness of faith. Our faith is what enables us to live the tension of reality and hope. The kingdom solely in the reality of here and now existence without hope is nearsighted, 
while hope in the distant future without involvement in the present reality is farsighted. Did you know that there's a fish that, inhabit, that inhabits the rivers of South America with a kind of bifocal arrangement in the lens of its eyes? One half of its eye can see below to the watery depths, and the upper half of the eye sees up into the atmosphere. It's pretty incredible. Christ came into our watery depths as a light. And we, through faith, are light. And in the new city, there will be no need of lamp or sun. God will be our light. And God will be all in all. If we can, when it comes to our eyes of faith, be neither nearsighted nor farsighted, but like the fish, see both reality and hope. We will truly see on a clear day, wherever, both now and always. The poet, E.E. E. Cummings, writes, What time is it? It is by every star, a different time and each most falsely true, or so subhuman superminds declare, nor all their times encompass me and you. When are we never but forever now, hosts of eternity, not guests of seem? Believe me, dear, clocks have enough to do without confusing timelessness and time play on the familiar words of the Apostle Paul as we are focused on faith today. Reality, hope, and faith abide these three, but the greatest of these, in the love and the light of Christ, is faith. Amen.